All righty. Now, I have a message this morning that has been something of a, of a, on my heart. I really just felt like there's an urgency uh, from the Lord to uh, preach this message. It's called Experiencing Loving Kindness. Experiencing Loving Kindness. A.W. Tozer, in his book, The Pursuit of God, said, What comes into your mind when you think about God is the most important thing about you. What comes into your mind when you think about God is the most important thing about us. Because what we think about God impacts not only our lives, but the lives of people around us. So much hurt can ensue from a devout heart with a misguided perception of God. So what you believe about God is the biggest issue that affects your entire worldview. Because zeal for God's house that's not tempered by wisdom can be hurtful. So Paul said a few places in the New Testament, zeal without knowledge is not good. He said zeal without a good purpose is unhelpful. So this idea of, it's like Wiley Coyote who's chasing the roadrunner, right? He straps a rocket to his back and then he's about to light the fuse. But when you light the fuse, you better be pointing in the right direction. Because you light that fuse and you're pointing in the wrong direction, you take off. And this this sense of, I'm going to have the zeal of God. Well, you just make sure that you have a correct perception of who God is before you light that fuse. And uh, I feel like that's the, the, what the Lord is trying to do. I want to start today by looking at the life of Hosea the prophet. Hosea lived in Israel d- during the time of Jeroboam. He was a contemporary of Isaiah. And up until that time in Israel, the, most of the revelation or most of the way the people viewed God was through a lens of his righteousness or his holiness or his justice or his greatness, but not so much with a perception about his love. And uh, his love was always there, to be sure, and they they talked about that, but Hosea begins this narrative or a perspective of God's heart and God's love that really expanded and challenged what was known. And Paul picks up on some of Hosea's findings in in Romans chapter 9 when he, he, he quotes from Hosea. Basically, Hosea is this godly man whom God gives an assignment. And he says, I want you to go out and I want you to deliver this prophetic word to Israel. But in the process of doing that, I want you to go and find yourself a wife, a woman who is known to be kind of loose moral. She's that woman, that reputation. And I want you to marry her, and she's going to give you children. I want you to take an unfaithful wife, and she's going to bear children that were born in unfaithfulness. Not a great, like, yay, this is my calling. (laughs) So he goes out, and he marries her, and he courts her, and he commits himself to her in love, and they seem to be in love, and she seems to be responsive. And he's like, well, I think I've turned her around, she's connecting. And there there start to be little whispers from his friends that I saw her coming out of a house where she shouldn't have been and then I bumped into her. She was laughing with a group of men and that was kind of strange in that kind of environment. And he's like, no, it's okay, he trusts her. She gets pregnant. And the Lord tells him to name this child Jezreel. Because he said there was, a, there was a great sin that Israel committed in the valley of Jezreel. And God says, I'm going to draw Israel back to the valley of Jezreel. I'm going to destroy your armies in that valley. So call your son Jezreel. It's a statement of judgment. 
And he was like, why did you call him Jezreel? Because God's going to get you, you ugly thing, right? That's kind of the mode. And stories persist. She wins that child and she's uh, out again. And she gets pregnant. And uh, there have been rumors. She's been inexplicably missing from home. She's offering strange excuses why she's late. There have always been rumors, of course, about her, but he brushes them aside. And, but now that she's pregnant, and he, he's a little disturbed. And so the Lord says, I want you to call this little girl Lo Ruhama, which means not loved. I will not have mercy on her. I will not show her compassion. And so he goes ahead with the brutality of that name for a little girl. This is not loved. This child is not loved. I will not show her compassion. She shall not have my kindness. And it starts to spark the rumors about them in the community. Did you hear what he just called his daughter? She will have none of my compassion. What kind of a name is that? Do you think he knows about her? I told you we just have told him. They're the embarrassing family everybody's talking about. She gets pregnant a third time. It's more fights, more rumors, more unexplained absences. And the Lord says to him, Hosea, I want you to call this boy Lo Ami, which means not my people. This is not my flesh and blood. Jezreel, judgment of God is coming. Not loved. You are not my people. Because the word of the Lord to Israel is, my judgment is upon you. I, do not, I, with, I withdraw my compassion from you, and you are no longer my people. Words of judgment over the nation, because God's constant testimony is that Israel has proved the harlot again and again. And I have come to her and comforted her and shown her my love, and she has been unfaithful to me, not just once, but multiple times. Eventually, Goma runs away from him and from her children, and she shacks up with another guy. And to add injury to insult, the Lord says to this prophet, I want you to go back, and I want you to show your love once again to Goma. I want you to bring her back. And so he goes to the man whom she is now in indentured slavery to. She's basically sold herself as his slave, and in order to survive and to earn money and to have the protection in that society. And the prophet goes and buys her back. And it's not an insignificant amount of money. Today's currency, it's probably about $150,000. And something surprising happens. The prophet who had every right to reject and to ostracize and to beat and harass and hate his wife chooses to love her and to take her in and to care for her and to restore her and to honor her and to be her protector. And she is fully restored to her former state as a beloved wife. And the Lord gives Hosea prophetic announcements to share with Israel after he has declared his judgments. After he said, you are not loved and you are not my people. So let me just read to you some of Hosea. Rebuke your mother, rebuke her. She is not my wife, and I'm not her husband. 
Let her remove the adulterous look from her face and the unfaithfulness from between her breasts, and I will not show my love to her children, because they are children of adultery. Their mother has been unfaithful and has conceived them in disgrace. She said, I'll go after my lovers who will give me food and water and wool and linen, my olive oil and my drink. So I will punish her for the days she burned incense to the balls. I'm skipping through some of the verses just for time's sake. But she decked herself with rings and jewelry and she went after her lovers, but me she forgot, declares the Lord. Now, can I just stop there and just say, what a, what a righteous set of judgments that any husband or rational person would probably agree with. This woman has been uh, just habitually unfaithful, deliberately, uh, obviously, unfaithful to him consistently. It's not a one-time slip and when he loved her again, she repented and changed and, and never again. But this is a woman who's been wanton and deliberate and just consistently. And any rational person would say, run for your life. She left you, run hard, run now, walk away. Nobody would blame you. Nobody has an expectation that you should do what you just did. And this is the Lord saying this. Now verse 14. The Lord, so, so, so let me just put it in context. She decked herself with rings and jewelry and she went after other lovers. But me she forgot, declares the Lord. Therefore, that doesn't make sense. Therefore, I, my response to that unfaithfulness, therefore I am going to allure her. I will lead her into the wilderness and speak tenderly to her. And there I will give her back her vineyards and I will make the valley of Achor, which means the valley of trouble, a door of hope. Stop. Some people in this room are sitting in the valley of Achor. You are sitting in the middle of your trouble, and that verse should just make you want to get up and do a little happy dance because God's promise is I'll make the valley of your troubles a doorway of hope. There she will respond. As in the days of her youth, as in the day she came up out of Egypt, in that day declares the Lord, you will call me my husband. You'll no longer call me my master. But I will remove the name of the Baals from her lips. No longer will their names be invoked and I will betroth you to me forever. Yes, I will betroth you to me in righteousness, in justice, in loving kindness and in mercy. I will betroth you to me in faithfulness and you will know the Lord. That word loving kindness is the Greek word chesed. To those unfaithful people who have consistently turned away, I will bring consequences or punishment that is about remedy and not about retribution. They're going to have to face the reality of what they have done, but unbelievably, beyond all expectation, beyond all reason, I'm going to draw them back to myself tenderly, says the Lord. I will allure her. I will lead her out of bondage. I will speak tenderly to her. I will restore her inheritance. I will create within her valleys of trouble, doorways of hope, and I will remarry her. And I will show my chesed, my faithful love to the one that I previously called not my loved one. And I will say to people who I previously called, you are not my people, you will be called my beloved. So let's talk a little bit about this idea of chesed. 
Chesed is a word that is conceptual rather than concrete, the truth that needs to be grasped by faith rather than something that's an experiment to be mastered by our logic. It's often translated in compound words in the English, like the faithful love of God or his loving kindness or his faithful mercy. It includes various concepts like mercy, love, kindness, faithfulness, favor. It's the love that God pledges to his people when he brings them up out of Egypt to be his people. It's the love that is seen in the covenants of God, the covenant oaths that he makes back up his chesed love. It's the bonding agent that we find in the covenants. And so you find this word popping up everywhere, all over the Old Testament. And it's something that, that uh, is not uh, as, as highlighted as it should be in most theology. This idea of God's chesed, I will send my loving, faithful kindness, my covenantal love, I will extend to you and never back it out. I'll never pull it away from you. So Exodus 20, God says, but he's a God who shows chesed to a thousand generations. Exodus 34, when God reveals himself to Moses, he said, the Lord, the Lord, the compassionate and gracious God, slow to our anger, abounding in chesed. This loving kindness. Second Samuel, God's promise to David. I, there, there are so many, I, there's 247 just of this variation of the word, and then if you count all the different variations of chesed, there's 2,100 of them in the Old Testament. This is not an insignificant word for us. So the Lord, Second Samuel, the Lord says to, to David, this is the covenant he makes with David. He said, you know, Saul disobeyed me, and I, I removed my love from him. He said, but I will never remove my chesed from you. This is why chesed is such a big issue in David's life. Chesed, God said, listen, even if your son sin, I will not remove my chesed from you. My loving kindness, my faithful love will always remain with you. There's nothing you can do about it. You know what David does when he hears that? He gets up, he walks down, he goes to the temple, he walks into the tent, he sits next to the Ark of the Covenant, which is forbidden, and he says, Lord, thank you so much. He took God at his word. He said, okay, let's test this out. Sat down next to the Ark. You're not allowed to sit. You're not allowed to be next to the Ark unless you're the high priest. So you find this thing recurring. When Jehoshaphat is outnumbered by armies, he, he gets the singers, he says, stand up. He says, I want the, the praises to go, I want the people of the house of Judah, the praise. I want the singers to go ahead of us and I want you to sing this song. We have about a two hour march to get to the battlefield because the Lord said the battle's not ours, it's his, but we have to show up. He said, so we had a two hour march, but I want you guys to sing. What song are we singing? I want you to sing this. Praise the Lord for his chesed endures forever. The steadfast, unfailing, loving kindness of God endures forever. How long do you want us to sing it for? I just thought we'd get there. By the time they got to the battlefield, that was ringing in their ears. The wheels on the bus go round and round. The dads on the bus say, zip it, zip it, zip it. After the third hour, they sang. His chesed endures forever. When they dedicated the temple, you know what song they sang? Praise be to the Lord because his chesed endures forever. 
So David, this is all over David. I'm just, I'll just give you some of this. Psalm 5, because of your great love, I can come to you. Psalm 6, turn, Lord, deliver me, save me because of your unfailing love, all chesed. Psalm 17, show me the wonder of your great chesed. Psalm 23, surely your goodness and your chesed, your loving kindness are going to follow me all the days of my life. Psalm 27, remember, O Lord, your great mercy and love, your chesed, for they are from of old. Psalm 89, I will declare that your love stands firm forever, that you've established your faithfulness in the heavens itself. Another version said, I have said mercy shall be built up forever. Chesed. God created the earth because of chesed. He, he, God so loved the world that he gave his own son. The only reason the earth was created was so that God could have an expression for his chesed. So that when the scripture says the earth is founded on his chesed, the, the creation exists because of this. This is not some innocuous thing. This is not some side issue that God tries to muster up. This is who God is. This is the primary motivating factor of everything he does. This is the reason that moves God. God himself has no need for covenant. There is nothing that I bring to the covenant that I make with God that he couldn't immeasurably more achieve beyond all I could ask or imagine he could achieve for himself. There's nothing that I bring that God has a need of. But God binds himself. He obligates himself in, within the terms of a covenant to me and to you. And you know why God did that? Not because he had a need to do that, but because his love, his chesed, drives him to that place. Moved by love for you. Moved by love for you, he sent his only son to die. Yeah, but you don't understand, Greg. I haven't lived the best life. While you were yet sinners, he sent his own son. Moved by his loving kindness for you. It is the overarching, all-consuming beauty of who God is. God is love. I'm just going to keep saying a few things, because I think some of you, I just feel like, let's say, just talk about this, because he's going to just drop it into some people's hearts. And if it just happens to one person today that you get this, been worth it. Chesed is the kind of love that sets off a chain reaction. This is the expectation. It makes an impact in somebody's life. When you're touched by chesed, it inevitably is going to compound. It's like waves of consequential exposure and impact that chesed makes. You, it hits a life and transforms it. And everybody, that life hits, that transforms them. You receive, freely you've received, now freely go and give, Jesus said. It's this understanding of when you've experienced it, you turn around and you give it away. It's like dominoes. You start the one and it impacts and just runs. Micah said, he has shown you, O man, what is good and what the Lord requires of you to do justly, to love chesed, and to walk humbly with your God. 1 John 4 says, 4.19 says, we love him because he first loved us. Chesed is expansive. It pushes past boundaries and expands beyond normally accepted things. And it's not reasonable in its response or its actions. 
It goes the extra mile, beyond the necessary, past obligation. More than just the right thing, it's unreasonably persistent, it's amazingly good, it's past expectation. <laughs> Lasts longer than anybody thinks it should. Jesus said, if somebody hits you in the face, turn the other cheek to them. Somebody can command you to walk with them a mile, walk with them two miles. Chesed. There's a love that goes beyond what is reasonable, what is, what is normally accepted, what is astonishing, actually. Chesed becomes inclusive. It breaks boundaries and it's inclusive of other people who we don't quite think should be inclusive of. Jesus had a house in Capernaum and he goes to Capernaum and the elders of the Jews come to him there and they say there's a centurion who has a servant and, and this centurion has built a synagogue here and, and he's really poured out, he's given of his own resources and this is a good man. He, he, he deserves, Jesus, this guy deserves you to help him. Can you just heal his servant? He deserves this. And then when Jesus says to Zacchaeus, hey, I need to come to your house for lunch. go, hang on now. You, you could show love to that guy because that's reasonable. That's, he deserves it. But to show love to this guy? God has wired the universe. It moves, it is moved, it changes, it, it, it desires for your heart to connect with his. God has wired himself. He is love. He has loving kindness. It is obsessive. It is beyond what is expected. It is passionate. It endures forever. There's a psalm that says, God has set his chesed as high as the heavens are above the earth. So great is his chesed. He has established that in such quantities and such dimensions that they're unbelievable. He has built up his chesed higher than you can see and for longer than you can imagine. It lasts forever. God has wired this in. His chesed is new every morning. We say his mercies, but the word is chesed. It means this morning when you woke up, God extended another massive dose higher than the skies, wider than you can conceive. Today, he said, well, why don't you try this? You go, but God, that person doesn't deserve it. God does not act towards you according to the, way, the ways that you deserve. God acts towards you and towards me in accordance with his nature. This is such good news. Such good news because if you understand his chesed, you go, I did not earn this and I don't deserve this, but I can drink deep of this love. And if you do, it'll not only transform your life, but impact everybody around you. Wow. 
Because of his great love, we are not consumed. For his chesed is new every morning. Great is his faithfulness. Romans 8, of course, using a different word, there's a different language, Greek. But Romans 8, Paul picks up a similar theme with that understanding about God's love extended to us. And he says in Romans 8, 31, what shall we say then in response to all of these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? And he who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also along with him graciously give us all things. If God is for us, Deus pro nobis, the, the great description of chesed, God is for you. What you think about God is the most important thing about you. If you understand this is the way God primarily is stretched out towards you with unfailing love, faithful covenant, loving kindness stretched out to you. You perceive him that way. You respond to that God. This will irritate the life out of religious people. Legalists will be fuming at this message. Because you're not allowed, you're not allowed, Greg, to extend that. You cannot tell people that that's who God is, even though that's plainly stated everywhere in the, New, the Old Testament, New Testament. You cannot tell people that because they have to earn it. No, you do not have to earn it. Your works cannot change the nature of God. This is the nature of God. This is the way He functions. All week, I've been, as I've been studying this out, I've just been stopping and just giving honor and just, just thank you, thank you, Father, for your kindness. This does not make you want to run out and sin. This makes you want to run to the one who holds you close. The whole earth is full of this. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Listen to this. Shall trouble, hardship, persecution, famine, nakedness, danger, sword. For your sake we face death all day long. No, in all of these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am convinced that neither life nor death, neither angel nor demon, present or future, or any powers, nor height nor depth, Anything else in all of creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus. There is nothing that exists anywhere in heaven or on earth that ever will exist in heaven or on earth. There is nothing anywhere at any time that has the power to separate you from the chesed love of God. I'm going to ask the worship team to come up because we're going to end with a song. We're going to soak and just drink deep about that. So what Paul prayed. I pray that out of his glorious riches, he may strengthen you with power through your spirit in the inner being so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And I pray that you, 
being rooted and established in love, may have power together with all the Lord's holy people to grasp how long and wide and high and deep is the love of Christ and to know this love that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled to the full measure of all the fullness of God. <laughs> Paul said, this is my prayer. I want, I'm praying that you know this love. The Greek word is ginosko. It means through personal experience, through first-hand acquaintance, through experiential knowledge. I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, may have power together with all the saints to grasp the immense, massive, abounding dimensions of the love of God and that you experientially know that love. I hope today <clears throat> that for every person who had condemnation on you when you came in, that it has been broken. I hope today that every person who's suffering under the lies of rejection, that you've heard the outright laughter of God against that lie. I hope that there are people sitting here who have considered the fact that you've messed up and you've thought that your actions have made a worse mess of your life than the love of God could repair. And I hope that God has changed you. Nobody here is suggesting that in the face of this kind of love, we should run out and be stupid. Not at all. What I am suggesting is in the face of the revelation of this kind of love, that you come running to Him. That you throw away all the junk and all the history and all the past mistakes and you come running to this King and go, Lord, you can have it all. I'm going to ask the worship team to just worship for us a song, Oh, how he loves us. And I'm going to invite you to just take a moment. You can, you can sing along with, or you could just sit quietly and drink deep. But I want you to focus on the Lord and say, Lord, I want to know this love. Because that's the, the apostolic heart of God. I want you to know this love that surpasses understanding. This love is so big you can't even understand it. But I want you to experience it anyway, Paul says. So Father, we commit this time to you. And I'm asking, Lord, that right here, right now, that you would minister to people in this place. And that if there's anybody, Lord, who's not clear, anybody who doesn't understand that you've loved them, I pray that you dispel that now. In Jesus' name. i
Oh.